0: Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jonathan. And we are the Evangelicals.
1: You have chosen to listen to a podcast that is produced by pastors. And by virtue of that, you know, sometimes you're just going to run into pastoral concerns. That's what you're going to hear. And today, today we're talking about a pastoral concern of mine that has just continually grown in covid and uh covet culture and jeremy and i are talking today we're we really are this isn't somewhat of an impromptu talk we do not have as many talking points right now prepared as we usually would but the topic the so topic buckle up this could get, yeah it could get interesting could get, i don't we don't this is a topic that we don't know what the other person thinks about we're just assuming that somehow
0: and we are still learning personally as we uh journey through this individually oh Oh, that's right it's it's a we're always learning so we're not experts as much as just have some maybe thoughts about this topic
1: so we're talking about marriage today (laughs) how many years have you been married jeremy
0: (sighs) this in a few months 20 are you serious Congratulations. In August. Yeah. August the fourth. So That's awesome, man. Yeah, it is. It's 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 fantastic. So I have been married for twelve. That's that's good too. Well, thanks, Jeremy. It's a must. <laughs> In our culture, it's it's I think anything past a decade could be uh it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah.
1: So to Jeremy's point, this is not a podcast about lessons we've learned from marriage or some us like trying to impart sage wisdom we're really just talking about the situation of marriages right now as we see them so that's really so don't don't worry if if you're if you are kind of stressed about that or if you almost have turned this podcast off because you think that we're going to try to pretend to know stuff that we don't know that's not going to happen
0: or if you're not married, I think you will still get potentially something out of this because I think marriage and Bible, and we talked a little bit about this before we started, is the way Jesus relates the relationship of who God is to the world and, and what that whole thing looks it's like. It's all throughout
1: the prophets. And
0: so it's not just about for married people. I I think our concern is theologically what does this look like? And Jesus, once again, uses the metaphor of marriage to talk about the relationship between God and his people. And I think that that a lot of marriages struggle because they don't understand that bigger theological understanding and what that looks like. And so marriage is in the Bible is a, a reference, uh, an analogy, uh, an understanding about how all of relationships potentially should be and, and thrive and work, but especially the relationship of the church to the world. and and God to the church and that whole understanding. We, so the word used throughout the Bible
1: to talk about this intimate contractual in a way relationship between God and his people is covenant. And we have a serious breakdown in our appreciation for our understanding of, and our practice of covenant. We have no sense of covenant anymore as a people. We've been talking about church attendance in churches all across America. One of the things that I think is so fascinating is that people are leaving churches and going to other churches based on political affiliation or based on preference. And what's, what's so interesting is church is not supposed to be the church is not supposed to be the place where your status quo is promoted. Church is supposed to be the place where you're challenged in your self-identity to live more and more like Christ. But we don't even have it. We don't have a covenantal understanding of the church anymore. Like I don't... Um, you know, we have people that are leaving... Our church, I mean every church does. It's not just this is I'm not just whining about my own church situation. And the fact of the matter is we're also, you know, picking up people for other congregations, which isn't that's which I'm also not okay with. <laughs> like I'm not okay with both like sending or receiving in this sense. Right, that, right, right, you right. Know, like if you covenant yourself with the people to live with them and grow with them, y- you're you it's a two-way relationship. You need them and they need you. Absolutely. Right? And in this kind of shuffle of Uh, the consumer mindset in America uh, we have we have turned all covenants into some sort of uh, consumer matrix you know and we talk when people talk about marriage they say you know here's what I'm getting out of it or not getting out of it that's just consumerism that has nothing to do with the covenant same with church you know people say all the time you know I'm not getting fed or I'm not receiving you know what I need to receive from church you know well that uh, it's so much of our so much of our psyche is formed by consumerism it's hard for us to talk intelligently even faithfully about covenant anymore or about marriage because so often we are thinking to ourselves about what um what we want out of marriage there's there's something that you say in marriage
0: counseling that you were telling me before we went on so i try to really in marriage counseling set up or premarital, right? That's correct. Yeah, both, honestly. okay. Like, I think that sometimes um, it's interesting people who are a little bit older than, than us. When I sit down with them sometimes and talk about marriage, premarital counseling was not required. Yeah. It, it It's really something that I think recently has picked up steam in churches with pastors and stuff. But I don't know that it was always that way. And so a lot of times when I'm sitting with people is I feel like, When I I try to plant seeds of saying, I think a lot of the reason most marriages fail, and I think it speaks to understanding of why people leave churches, is that you enter into this covenant with unrealistic expectations placed on the other or even what this is going to do for you. And that if we enter into it with unrealistic expectations, we will be disappointed at some point one way or the other because my expectations will not be met. This other person will let me down or will do something that will frustrate me. And at that point, I'll have a decision to make that either I made a mistake because that I've entered into this thing that isn't giving me what I thought I was going to get or what I was hoping to get. Um, and so I just get out of it because I, I this is obviously isn't what I should be doing. Or you struggle through and live in a unhealthy relationship for whatever reason. And you nitpick and you find all of the, the, the smallest things that this person is doing that you don't like or that isn't satisfying to you. And you you live in, in, in a literal hell for the rest of your life. And um, because all because you started this covenant or this relationship with an expectation That was totally unfair to even put on the relationship or on the other person. You are setting this person up to, to disappoint you. And so if you can enter into it with this understanding at the beginning, and I think it all begins with, um, I'm dating myself, but, uh, I felt like you see this most, um, clearly in a, a movie called Jerry Maguire with, uh, Tom Cruise and um, Renee Zellweger. I think she's in it. And there's this great scene at the end of the movie, and it it is a tissue, like it is. You know, you're gonna tear jerker, tear right? jerker. And he goes into this big speech, but he he says this line that I think has, um, it's the is,
1: quintessential line of the movie. It's the it's the most quotable line of the. Everybody, of the film, if right?
0: you've seen Jerry Maguire, you you this is the line. He he looks at her and says, "You complete me." And and while it's lovely. And once again, brings the tears. I think it's a horrible way because once again, it's putting something on this person that they're completing something within you rather than two whole people, two people who are um, entering into this. So I tell people you should enter into this relationship, this covenant, not for what you're going to get out of it, but for what you can give to it. It's interesting. When I do premarital counseling,
1: the first time I get together with a couple that wants to talk about getting married I say to them you should not get married and they look at me and they're like excuse me (laughs) I'm like you shouldn't get married you shouldn't get married Paul says it's better for you not to marry I say you know there's all these issues you know I I have this little um, kind of uh, pre-test workbook thing that we kind of like work through together that they've already completed by the time we sit down for the first time and I've kind of like read about you know some of their issues or things you know and and I say to them, I say, you know, marriage is tough. It's hard work. It's a lifetime. And I say to them, if by the time we get through talking about marriage, you're still convinced that you want to serve this person for the rest of your life, yeah. then maybe you should get married. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But, but the point of this premarital counseling is not for you to figure out how you're going to have your best life. Right. Because, because marriage is a covenant, a selfless covenant of saying, "I'm going to lay down my life for the other person." Like that's it, end of story. You know, there's no uh, the idea that we get cert- that we give people some sort of um, hope of an upside. For your consumer for your consumer mentality in marriage is just a complete farce like if if you want to live for yourself don't get married right because even in having kids even in, even in having kids you're going to make the world a worse place because you're going to grow up them you're going to teach them to grow up to be twice the hellion that you are twice the selfish you know person and this is also something that's so amazing to me as i talk with older adults who have raised selfish narcissists you know they're like well you know we you know, we we thought, you know, that we were doing all of the things, you know, that, that we were supposed to do, you know, and, but the thing is, they, as they narrate their lives to me, oftentimes they talk about how throughout their lives, the things that they were prioritizing were selfish, right? So, so often in, in our lives, we were just, we're just prioritizing ourselves. So the reason, part of the reason we're talking about marriage today, one of the things that I've, that I've noticed or perceived in in marriages, in the phase of life that I'm in, maybe that you're a little out of. So I'm in the phase of life, I've got three little kids, um, two now that are school age, one that's pre-school age, but it's a very busy and frustrating time. It's a very it's a very out of control time in a sense, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's a, it's a time in life where it's very easy to drift away from the person that you're married to. It's very easy to wake up early in the morning, get to the list of things, get to work, get home, get dinner, uh, get things cleaned up and go to bed, put it in autopilot and just wake up, you know, go to sleep, wake up the next day and start it all over See again. See
0: you in 10 years and we'll <laughs> get back to
1: you. That's, that's very true. It's not, it's, it's unfortunately the case. And this is the season in life in which many divorces, you know, the roots of divorce begin to grow because resentment begins to grow, you know, and, uh, One of the things that continually frustrates me as I meet with people is that I recognize for whatever reason, people are okay with letting the drift start to happen. People are okay with waking up every day and kind of putting in the time, you know, at their job or doing whatever they're doing, you know, drinking a little bit here to let the, to kind of um, ease the pain. Um, talking to you know their parents or other friends not confiding in their spouse anymore because they've just kind of like given up on the relationship and just allowing themselves to drift and drift and drift when as I'm as I'm growing and again I'm not an expert on marriage I've only been married for 12 years you know Um, I'm not an expert but as I grow the thing that I'm realizing in my own life is the covenant of marriage is actually one of the only things in my life worth preserving Hmm. I love Lyman Community Church of the Nazarene. Mm -hmm. I would give my life to Lima Community Church of the Nazarene. But if they don't want me to be on staff at the church, you know, the board tomorrow or, you know, the senior pastor could say to me, Hey, it's time for you to move on. It's completely out of my control. Right. So I can love it as much as I want to, but it's a it's a covenantal relationship that that really I have no control of in one sense. Marriage is different in the sense that I am saying like I am giving myself to this completely.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's um and I, and I understand there are people that would listen to the podcast and they would say, "Well, it takes two to be married." And um I actually I actually in some ways disagree with that statement. I think if you read the Bible, I think you find a God who's married to a group of people that don't want to be married to him oftentimes. And God gives us the rubric for what fidelity and faithfulness looks like to a people they don't want to be faithful to you. This is what the book of is it Hosea is all about. Yeah. It's all about one person pursuing another person relentlessly for their life. Can you imagine how powerful a marriage would be if you had if you did have two people that relentlessly were pursuing the other person passionately above themselves? I mean, that would be amazing. But the
0: thing is And that's I, where I would push back to a little bit. That's where I think it does take two. If your marriage is gonna be holistically functioning, because you could have one who's like, I'm in this, like God, but but when God and Israel's relationship was the best is when they were both pursuing each other. Sure. That Yeah, that's what I would sure. say.
1: But when it was at its worst, you still had one person that was right. holding Absolutely. on. Right. And so, times, so oftentimes in marriage counseling, what I hear is I hear both people saying, well, if she would, then I would. And him saying, well, if he would, then I would. And I'm like, okay, which one of you is going to grow up and say, you know what, this person that I'm married to at this point in their life for whatever reason is not doing what they need to be doing. So I'm going to. Because they're right. Like if neither of them, if both of them are going to be so selfish and immature as to say, you know, I'm not going to to do anything. Yes, the marriage is going to fall apart. I mean, um, I realize outliers aren't always helpful, but I think in the case of marriage, they are. I know people who have been married to people that have Traumatic brain inju- injuries fundamentally changes the other person. Yeah. Well, in a consumer mindset, that person should leave their marriage because the person—it's not doing the marriage isn't doing for what, them what they thought it was going to do with you, right? But the right thing is to stay married. Yeah. It's a covenant. You said you were going to care for that person. People that um, end up being married to someone with dementia, right? somebody who doesn't even know you anymore, you're getting absolutely none, nothing out of it. Does it take two to stay married in that point? Well, all of you listening to the podcast have seen parents or grandparents have done this. And you would say, well, no, it doesn't take two to be married. It's not fair to say that. That person's lost their mind. Hello. <laughs> like actually, right. right. It does take one per like, and this podcast, if you're listening to this podcast Day about marriage, we're not actually talking about your spouse at all. Yeah. We're talking about
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not
1: talking about Kate today. I'm talking about me. <laughs> right,
0: right, right, right. I think the um so I the word I use and I think as it pertains to when I hear you talking about your point of life, but I think it it also where I am in my marriage as well. Um that it it is kind of fun, just so that the
1: the listener knows, Jeremy is a little bit older than me and has obviously he's been married eight more years than me, but his kids are like in high school phase now. Yeah. And we are jeremy has lived more through kind of the phases than I have just if you're if you're just picking up on the podcast wondering where we are in age jeremy's a um a little bit older than I am so yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean I'm more of an expert
0: just slow I would argue that me. you are many senses, but okay keep going sorry so the word I use I try to get my the couples to think about and and I and I I try to say Let's not talk about marriage as work, although I totally understand the analogy of what that is, because a lot of people don't like their job. And so they automatically have this negative understanding sure. of like, work. I try to say, I think marriage, and the word I use is you have to be intentional. That if you don't wake up with the intentionality of trying to be there for that person or have conversations with that person or have this, if you're not intentionally engaging and serving, then you're not going to do it. And I think intentionality is something that that is missing a lot as you wake up with the thought of what am I going to get out of it rather than the intentionality of we're going to have a conversation today. Even if we're dog tired, the intentionality is going to be there that I'm going to be there for this person and to love this person and to to do whatever I can. And it doesn't mean every day is butterflies and unicorns and puppies. Um, There are some difficult days. But if i'm intentional even in the difficult days to understand that i love this person and that we're going to get through this together i'm intentionally leaning into this relationship rather than trying to find wholeness or what you know my completeness whatever somewhere else but i'm leaning into it maybe especially more in those difficult times and once again you have this mutuality of you're both doing that trying to be intentional every day to foster this, to be there for each other, to love each other, um, then that that could be the basis of understanding that that when people are first getting married, especially young couples, they have this puppy love and everything. You know, they this person can do no wrong, and it's like just give it a little time. You know, like it it's not that it's going to be bad. But even when you wake up and you're frustrated with this person, if your intentionality is there, is like, but I've made a commitment to this person that no matter what may come or what may happen, I'm going to we're going to get through it. And so, uh, the the word work for some people has negative connotations, and I don't want that. Right. I, I don't you're want right. them to bring that into to that understanding of what this is because I think it's different than that. So I try to say you're going to have to wake up every day with the intentionality of being for this person. And if you don't, if you ever like that, uh, and, and I, and I always tell couples, I don't do that every day. <laughs> like I, I'm not telling you as an expert that I am killing this. And like, I'm the expert yeah, on marriage. You're the world's greatest
1: husband. Or exactly. Something like right.
0: No, no, but I will always say Tara and I are at our best When we are both have that mindset and are living living into that understanding of trying to be intentionally for the other person through thick or thin high low um you know hell or high water we're we're gonna do this together and um and so intentionality is a word that i think um and i think that as you think about church what would it look like if people said do my intention for my church is i'm going to serve it and love it and be a part of its wholeness and its well-being and I'm going to do whatever I can to make it what it is not just for myself but for the other people that are part of my community and then for the community that, that our church is in and the, um, the city like I'm going to intentionally show up and be ready to do whatever I can for its good knowing that if um, it's kind of like the passage we, we talked about um, I think it's Jeremiah or something where hey Be for your city, because if it prospers, then you prosper. And um, and and so my being good, my understanding who God is, is if my church is is doing well, then I'm going to also be receiving what what God wants to give me in the midst of that. But It begins with my heart for it and serving it as it does the marriage, my heart to serve my spouse or the one that I am journeying with um, in a covenant relationship that's got to be the basis, the beginning. Um, because once again, if it's about what I'm going to get, then with my church, with my spouse, with friendships, um, I will be disappointed at some point, unfortunately.
1: There are several places in the Bible that, that talk about marriage. And I mean, honestly, you know, there are entire podcasts that are dedicated to marriage, you know, and we're not, turning this into a seven-part series or something, so we're not going to hit on everything today. You you might be dissatisfied with this, <laughs> this episode, but I, I want to talk a little bit about gender in the sense that gender has been a very difficult thing to talk about in the church, primarily in the United States since the 60s um, and 70s with the rise of um, feminist movements in the sense that we have realized... And people are on obviously a wide range of spectrum of thoughts on this, on talking about gender, and that's why we don't talk about it. But the idea was, you know, that in maybe previous, prior generations were too paternalistic or too patriarchal. This idea that it's the man's way or the highway, the man is to rule the house, this type of Type of thing, and so there was this resistance in popular culture that was the feminist movement saying, you know, it's not just the man's way or the highway, and not only that, but women can, you know, do more roles than just, you know, be a, uh, you know, nineteen fifties poster child homemaker, you know, and and that there's more dynamics going on here in gender than just these kind of classic stereotypes, to which I would say. there is so much dynamism and personality that God has given. If we've ever to ever put people in any sort of sort of stereotype is just terribly unhealthy because the scripture it's alone has evidence of so many different radical examples of, of both genders. But one of the things that I think has happened because we don't talk about gender so much is that we have neglected the significance of, of gender in a theological way. So I want to, I want to just read something. This is Genesis chapter one. Then God said, this is Genesis 126, then God said, Let us make humankind in our image. Right? This is kind of the uh Christians like like this this sentence, thinking that this is foreshadowing, this is Trinitarian right, language, right? Right, right? Then God said, Let us make and over the birds of the air and over the living things that move upon the earth. Uh, God does not say to the man here, you know, have dominion. You know, um, there is other conversations that happen in the fall that are different, um, that point to different things. And we've talked about some time ago in our podcast, you you mentioned how so often we, we live our lives from a gener- Genesis three paradigm. Yeah. Which Genesis 3 was not the intent of creation, at least as we read the story. Genesis 1 and 2 right. are the intent of creation, yeah. right? So here, in ge- but two things in this Genesis 1 that I think are significant that I've not heard taught in my life growing up in the church. Number one, God is not just male or female. God is both. Mm. If God says, let us make humankind in our image, male and female, that means that in the very essence of God in the character of God, you have these two halves of personality. Mm. You have these two differences, these two differences that when they come together, what happens? They're fruitful and they multiply. Mm. It is in God's dynamic (sighs) character within himself that he actually creates. Right. And then when God creates, he gives these different whatever they are and i don't know what they are i mean all throughout all throughout history different cultures and people have talked about these two different dynamics it's the eastern yin and yang you know what i'm saying it's 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 right and left east and west it's 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 polarities of of character that throughout history you know people talk about and they see you know but in unfortunately we've minim, we've minimized in our culture male and female to particular patriarchal roles yeah but in the creation story, what we see is that in God's personality there are two things that that at least uh, constitute uh, enough that require that require attention enough to be created differently. right We have a male and we have a female. And then when those two things come together, they do the most holy thing possible. They create yeah they recreate. Um, I was doing this uh, sex talk with uh, kids in our youth group. Whoa. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, uh, I heard from parents, from parents afterward, uh, They, every parent who heard that I talked to youth group, they all came up to me and said, what did you talk about? And I said, what do you mean what I talked about? I talked about sex. You're like, you're, and they would say, you're <laughs> kidding me. I said, no, what did you think I was talking about? And they said, well, we couldn't get it out of our kids. They wouldn't say that. <laughs> Our kids want to tell us. I was like, you can have the transcripts. I mean, I'm not trying to be shady. They're like, you oh. know, our kids just want to, you know, all the questions after youth group that night, it was like, how was how was youth group? Good. <laughs> how was it talked? Fine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But anyway, but anyway, in this, in this, in in my talk to the kids, I said, you know, we have to talk about sex because, because sex in some ways is the most holy action. Mm-hmm. leading to creation it's cre- recreation procreation is the most godlike thing that humans participate in bringing another being into like into being it's it's god gave us this divine this divine spark in us that we don't lift up enough but um we also so we're not t- we're not talking about sex today as much as we're talking about marriage but what's so interesting about marriage marriage is a very dynamic, you know, two very different polarities coming together. There's, there's fireworks, there's, there's romance, there's frustration, there's communication, there's lack of communication. There's all of these, these things in, in this dynamism that is marriage, you know, and um, for some reason we see marriage as uh, this kind of um, boring institution, with kind of with frustrating scruples that we have to that we have to live into where 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 marriage is kind of this it's kind of this gift this thing where it's in marriage that we find the dynamic uh, uh polarity of god's personality my wife kate is radically different than me but yet she has an element of god's character and being and marking that I do not have yeah. and I desperately need her to correct me. I desperately need her to reveal God to me, yeah, you know yeah um and uh so I don't know if you have any 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 comments on that i I, I want to talk about faithfulness, honesty,
0: sexuality, some other stuff also, but no, just... I think that that. Once again it gets back to I, I think the passage that a lot of people quote when they even talk about patriarchal understanding of marriage is that Ephesians five where it talks about wives submitting to husbands and um, husbands are to is it husbands love your wives as Christ loves the
1: church and husband and wives are submitting, right? Those are the those are the la, that's the, the words the right? that are
0: used. But it's just interesting that we people use that passage and yet I think it's actually a passage about serving. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's just interesting yes. that we've taken that passage and turned it into this. See, it says, wives are to submit. Submit. And it's like, but yeah, but what? how are husbands supposed to love? Like Christ loved the church, who didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but took on the very nature of a servant. And it, how do we miss that whole piece of it that somehow Paul was trying to say, yeah, husbands dominate over your wives. And like No, actually he was saying, Husbands, you gotta like sacrificially serve your wife and give yourself up for her, not dominate her. And but I think it goes back to this what the way it was meant to be from the beginning. Paul's trying to cre- to reimagine or to reassert the narrative that God set from the beginning of, of what the whole creation was supposed to be like. And and I think this the church in Ephesus was maybe struggling a bit. I'm sure it was part of a patriarchal society. I don't know for sure. I haven't done a whole lot of study on Ephesus, but I'm just sensing he's trying to say, no, this is a a passage about serving each other, not about who's in control and who's in charge and what it looks like. And so it just seems like for so long, the church has chosen to read into the passage what it wants to hear and what it wants to see actually, rather than actually reading the passage and translating it for what it actually says about who we are to be and what that looks like.
1: One of the most uh, awkward or socially tense situations I've been in in the last year, we had a, we have a young families group here at the church that I help organize, and I was uh, teaching one night at it. And I got up and I opened the Bible, and I read very emphatically, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> just, like, looked out. <laughs> and I mean, and God husbands <laughs> husbands are, like, gripping the chair, like, looking down. <laughs> wives are, like... Wives are like like starting to like crumple like things ready to throw it at me. I mean like it was hilarious, and I like I like read it emphatically right, and then I look up. You could just I mean you could just feel the tenseness in the room. am yeah. like, like And I'm like, uh, how's everybody feeling about now? <laughs> you know, and 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 so we. But to your point. We, we did read this passage together, talked about how neglected it is, how much we hate it, because it has these words that culturally we don't think are appropriate anymore. But then started talking about, you know, OK, so who gets who has a better deal here? Wives, submit to your husband, you know, uh, which submission means, you know, do things you probably don't want to do all the time or husbands die for your wife. Like, which, like, which, what's a better gig? What, you know, what I'm saying? like, if, like, if we, if we actually read the passage, don't just let it offend us. Right. Like, at first glance, but actually think about what Paul's saying here. Nobody wins. You know what I
0: Yeah. I'm just, you know,
1: and we read, again, we read it in a post, a post feminist movement, post 1960s, 70s context in America, where, like, I mean, you would never say, if Paul were writing that letter to the North American church, I don't know that he would just directly say, wives submit to your husband. It's just, it's just culturally, right? It's not, it's, it's, although it's taboo to say it out loud and, and it makes people cringe,
0: mutual submission is marriage mutual submission that's yes. what i think the passage is about and that's, why, that's what it is about is, exactly and but because he doesn't say well, husband submit, submit husband submit we're like
1: oh no he didn't <laughs> you know what i'm saying
0: <laughs> when i get to heaven me and the <laughs> yeah, apostle paul are going to have a that. word with each other yeah, yeah 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 i think it's it's also important and to because you mentioned it earlier that that even if you don't get married it's not that you're lacking part of the image of God in your life.
1: Jesus. I would certainly hope not. The one we're trying to emulate was not married. <laughs>
0: but I think, unfortunately, we in the church have traditionally made what it means to be a Christian to find that person that you're going to marry or to have kids or to... Jeremy, that is that is the
1: problem with Christianity in America is that it becomes this fulfillment of a destiny Christian exactly what you're just saying
0: that we, we perpetuated the story that if you don't find that person or you don't have kids that somehow you're lacking there's in, something wrong with you there's something wrong with you you can't be a part of the story because you haven't fulfilled what it is that God would have for you and so I think that that part of what we have to do a better job of is to say you jonathan even if you had never gotten married or had kids still perfect image bearer of who god's created you to be and and like i said i heard it growing up once again i don't blame the people that that taught me but like pray for the person that you're going to marry like you got to pray for that person is like well what if what if that never happens and why don't i just pray that god would lead and guide me whatever might come my way that I would live into the image that he's created me to live. No, I don't know.
1: No, it's a form of idolatry, Jeremy, and I think that you're stepping on something really significant. So the problem with the problem with teaching marriage as kind of like you know the next step in a series of steps to the great you know American Christian life, or not even just American, just the the great blessed Christian life. The problem with that understanding is that what happens is I think I think to myself, this is what is going to ful- give me fulfillment. Yes. Is it, it is still, that's still a consumer mindset. You complete mindset. me mentality. It's that's still right a there. consumer mindset. Absolutely. And the Christian mindset is always lay down your life for the other. So I don't need to be married to lay down my life for others. Absolutely. I do. You do not need to be married to live a full Christian life. Yeah. And what I see happening is people that are married somehow think that they can live a Christian life without completely submitting to and serving their spouse and it's like oh oh hold on hold on sorry married people but like you can't have some ultra fulfilling life outside of serving your spouse that's what you signed up for that's christian marriage right you don't like leave your spouse behind and go do all your christian things and come back to your crummy marriage that's that's not okay right like like once and paul says this He says, it'd be better for you not to marry because if you do marry, you got to worry about these, this whole set of things. Right. Uh, He calls them, I think, things of the world. But um, it's, um, I, I would love to, I would love, I would have loved for him to expand on that more. When I hear Paul saying those things, I mean, what I, what I realize is, you know, there are some days where I need to be concerned. I need to be concerned primarily with the emotional, well-being of my spouse and my home over against my own priorities you know yeah and that's again that's that's the dailiness of the covenant of marriage you know and i said this earlier in the podcast but but you know part of my angst right now in covid culture is that i do see a lot of couples um and i and i you know spend time with individuals who have found a rut are living in a rut that they thought marriage was going to be fulfilling to them and it's not and they don't know what to do you know but um, uh, we we have to as Christians and we're talking about Christian marriage today by the way as Christians it's very important for us to find to find ways to renew to renew the love of our covenant to renew the first love, to engage, uh, to stay connected, which is very, very difficult in these days. I feel like I'm, I'm waffling right now. I wanna to go to some other subjects, but is there any, anything
0: else that can you wanna I think that um, visit here? what Paul is talking about in Ephesians, and I think that once again, this this would center on what it means to have a Christian marriage is the submission I think he's talking about is I submit myself to God. And as I submit myself to God, it's going to cause me then to love the person that, that I, I know it says submit husbands, but I think the, the ultimate submission, that first love is as I truly surrender my, my life and submit to God and how he loved and who he was, which is why I think Paul points, got the husbands to Jesus and wives. I think there's some language in there about serving and loving that I am first to submit my life to Jesus. And as I submit to Him, if I'm truly following His example, as you've talked about, the only natural step is that I would then serve those that I'm in relationship with.
1: Yeah, uh, a major major component of marriage that again we don't talk about much in the church is sexuality, and it's a scary it's a scary thing to talk about. I think because I I, I think that we have. Um, We've we've bought we've bought the lie that sex is not holy, that sex is not a gift from God. I I I talk to people, you know, about kind of even their self understanding of sex that they don't know what to do with it because the church has maybe um, taught them that it's a shameful thing, you know. But God gave us sex as a gift of intimacy and a gift of physical pleasure, you know. Um, I mean. This is obvious. the world the the world has recognized, you know, <laughs> that sex is that sex is um something enjoyable and attractive. And I feel like we in the church have kind of um strayed away from recognizing it. One of the things that I the one of the lies that I've heard recently in the church is this encouragement for for Christian couples to have a, like a really um rockin, satisfying sex life and you know everyone's different you know i, I think it would be different it would be very difficult in the church to legislate some sort of uniform
0: what it means to have a rockin sex life you every know? sunday we're reporting what yeah uh, i mean i in the world would, just the insanity of we need the sex police to uh monitor. yeah yeah right uh i mean yeah what do you I feel like we're digressing we are
1: well but the, the reason i bring the bring the uh, the reason i bring that up is one of the things that um kate and i have been talking about in our own in our own marriage is having an honest sex life mm. a safe sex life one in which we can talk about our desire or lack thereof mm. in a certain season of life mm. tell me what you think about this jeremy i mean this might be I may be off on out on a limb here, but I really do feel that sex, the gift of sexual intimacy, is kind of the physical manifestation of soul intimacy. I mean, it is this it is this dynamic, like passionate intersection of two two individuals, right? And in in my, in my in my personal opinion, in my conviction, again, I've only been married for twelve years. Um, sex. is is wrapped up in communication in the sense that like when you're first attracted to someone physically you know you're putting off vibes you know i'm attracted to you i'm attracted to you but the further that you move on in in marriage at least in my experience sexual connection is indicative of relational connectedness
0: yeah it's interesting that um that you're bringing this up because i think that uh Controversial guy, Rob Bell, um, made these videos called NUMA videos. And I don't know that he was as controversial before he made them, you know? Yeah, probably not even while he was making them, more after. They were very informative. So good. And so the second one is one called Flame. And in this video, he talks about how there's three words for love in Hebrew. And it's just a beautiful, um, it's really good. I show this to my couples that I'm doing pre counseling with because it talks about... Um, the friendship uh, word for love, uh, there's a word in Hebrew for covenant friend, uh, uh, love, and then erotic love. And the whole point of the video is that so many times married couples, um, they lose that friendship. and And they're trying to get, he's like, when the three flames are burning together, that's when it's the best. And so they're oh. trying to find, they want to have the sexual part, but there's no friendship right and they don't cultivate that flame and so it doesn't feel it's not as bright or it's not as hot because they have neglected one of these understandings of what true love is Um, and then he talks about when people commit adultery there's no covenant there it's just sex is they're trying to get all the the feeling from all three flames burning together out of one flame and so it's just this beautiful picture of the the way true love is is when there's commitment, there's friendship, and there is some physical understanding of what, and that sexuality is all three of those burning together at their brightest, makes the, the, the three flames that much better. And, and so I feel like that's kind of what you're getting at, is that this understanding of, of we and our culture have sold sex as a physical act, and people are feeling empty, again and again and again and just trying to find the next thing because they're trying to find what it takes three flames to create in one flame. And um, and so once again, I'd encourage you, I think it's on YouTube. It's just a great summation and he says it way Is better it than flame? I just... It's called Flame. It's, it's a new video. It's very good, very good. And, and I think that it, it really speaks to what we should be speaking to from a Christian perspective and why I think that sometimes you can find... Um, some of those, that understanding of, of what true sexuality is, it's not a physical thing. It is a lifestyle that you can not be married, and I'm not saying that you look for that that erotic flame, but you can have the feeling of love and community and acceptance outside of the covenant of marriage. But if you're in that covenant, you have to tend, in my word, intentional. You have to be intentional about all three of those understandings or you're going to even feel empty in your marriage because you yes. are cultivating those three flames.
1: So another another thing, I, I what I don't mean to say and what I don't want you to hear me saying is that if you can, you know, cultivate great, a great emotional relationship or communication, then your sex life is all going to take care of itself and you can just have amazing sex with the rest of your life and this type of thing. Um, <laughs> here's, here's kind of like news to Christian marriage. The point of Christian marriage is not sex right that's not the point right and the spirit of god cultivates in christians this thing called self-control which we have grossly neglected in our culture
0: um can i just jump in here once again how did we how did we mess this up when we told teens just wait till you get married then you can have all the sex you want to have and that's a that's a problem and they enter it's a lie. into it with this unrealistic expectation <laughs> especially guys about how much sex they're going to be having and they get married and the wife's like i don't think so tonight and, and you know and they once again it's an unrealistic thought about what that's even going to be sorry i just jeremy i mean this is
1: these are things that we don't talk about in the church that we should talk about but to to that point uh, when i was young I, I went to a little seminar. And uh, the Christian speaker talked about masturbation, and he said, "You know, it's not necessarily wrong. You know, it's kind of natural." And I've I've always kind of wrestled with with that because because masturbation is a very real thing, particularly for young people um, that we don't talk about in the church. The problem here's here's where I've come on on this particular issue. The problem with with masturbation or pornography culture is that what it does is it does start to program your mind to have an app to have an insatiable appetite for sex and what the bible does call young individuals to particularly is self-control if you grow up giving yourself to your sexual desire to pleasuring yourself and that becomes kind of this 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 physical appetite that you are continually feeding without a relationship to kindle it and you have you are essentially what you're doing is you're feeding a flame before you even have the ability to have the other two flames right and and um or or the idea um or the idea that uh, that so, so in that, it only feeds the idea that it's okay for me. It's okay for me to masturbate and to kind of be out of control and to look at pornography prior to marriage because then I've been told this lie that when I get married, I don't need to practice self control anymore because my spouse is just going to fulfill me. They're just going to pick up where I left off on myself. You know what I'm saying? And that's such it's it's such a wrong unhealthy perspective of sexuality i I don't know that we've been teaching young people i i challenge young people i plead with young people practice sexual self-control and cultivate beautiful relationships with people of the opposite gender and if you do that you're going to be laying a foundation for yourself of self-control and selflessness which ought to be which which are the building blocks of a healthy covenantal relationship
0: of all relationships yeah i um. I, I use this line too. Um, when Tara and I were in our premarital counseling, we had wonderful people. Um, just They were awesome. They were on staff at our church and just an older couple. And um, he looked at me or looked at us and said, I'm going to give you the best marriage advice you'll ever get. And they were like, sweet. And he's like, do you want to have the most su- su- successful marriage ever? And I was like, yes, both of us. And um, he goes, all right, here it is. Like Jeremy, wake up every day and try to outserve your spouse. He goes Tara, wake up every day and try to outserve your spouse. And if you both are trying to outserve the other person, you're each are going to feel fulfilled and loved and celebrated and cherished, just from the sheer fact that you're out trying to serve each other in a way that you're lifting up the other person. And if you're both being lifted up because you're both are receiving service in all of life, um, you're gonna be pretty good. And I wish I could say we do that every day. Um, But once again, we are at our best as a couple when we are following Jesus and laying down our lives for each other, following Jesus and laying down our lives for others, following Jesus and laying down our lives for our community. Um, we, we tend to be better in our marriage. When, when we do that,
1: we've been going on for a long time. <laughs> we just keep, keep kind of hitting, hitting other things. Be encouraged today. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast. Don't settle for a status quo marriage. Don't just go through the motions or status quo life. Yeah. Be on fire. Yeah. Live for something more than yourself and your own appetites. Yeah. Give yourself selflessly to someone, to the, to the other person in your marriage. Right. Outserve out love you know uh live live radically for the lord in your marriage the evangelicals podcast is recorded at lima community church of the nazarene in lima ohio